0: Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and theologian who opposed the Nazi regime in World War II. This pastor-theologian was vocally opposed to Hitler, especially Hitler's persecution of the Jews. And Bonhoeffer was finally executed on April 9, 1945, during the last days of World War II. Bonhoeffer. For those who like older books among us, he's better known for his book, The Course of Discipleship. But he also wrote another good book, Life Together, that speaks of life, living life together in a Christian community. And he writes in that book this very quote, which is on the screen in front of you. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live In community with Christian brethren. And what is more amazing is his conviction of this truth. You see, Bonhoeffer was given an opportunity to teach in a seminary in in the States in the late 1930s. And if he had accepted it and done so, it it would have given him an opportunity to avoid the troubles in Germany. But he chose to return. Germany, to stand with the Christians in Germany. Bonhoeffer writes, I will have no right, no right, to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. He means fellow Christians, the church. He wanted to identify with the Christians and to go it together. We see here in Acts 9, another pastor theologian, Saul, who also experienced the grace of Christian community. We read in verse 19 that after Ananias ministered to Saul, Ananias introduced and brought Saul into the fledgling church in Damascus. Saul spent time With the disciples at Damascus he had a new relationship with the disciples I could almost imagine that time you know Paul uh, Saul having just encountered Jesus Christ having his whole worldview overturned being accepted into a community that exhibited grace so we see here Saul after his conversion he identified himself with other disciples of Jesus Christ and joined them in community. But that was not all there was. A post-conversion Saul was also marked by obeying a new commission. Obeying a new commission. We see in verse 20-22 that Saul, Saul began to proclaim Jesus in the Jewish places of worship. He proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We see this in verse 20. And proved that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah and deliverer of the Old Testament. It was such a 180 degrees about turn. Can you imagine that? Going from persecuting Christians, persecuting Christ, to proclaiming Jesus Christ. The people in Damascus, of course, they had heard about Saul. Was it not Saul who had made havoc and caused such devastation among the disciples in Jerusalem? Saul was arresting the disciples and bringing them bound before the chief priests. Now imagine that. Imagine that. So you could imagine the response of the disciples in Damascus. They were amazed, they were amazed at the transformation. This is about change of, of Saul. And they were suspicious of Saul's motives. Perhaps they thought this was one of Saul's trick to infiltrate the church. You know, pretend to be a Christian, go in, get to know the people, get a name list of the leaders and then in one fell swoop arrest them. Maybe he thought it was one of Paul's trick to just get into the church and perhaps arrest them later. But Saul continued to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And he became an able apologist for Jesus Christ. He continued to defend that Jesus is the Christ from the Old Testament. He continued to confound the Jews. And Luke here refers to the ethnic Jews who practice Judaism here. And these Jews, they could not refute Saul's claim that Jesus is the Christ. Luke then writes in verse 23, when many days had passed. Saul himself referred to this time in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. This was when Saul spent three years in the desert of Arabia, pretty close by to Damascus. He likely spent time there to reflect, to think, to deepen his conviction and beliefs about Jesus Christ. And as God continued to reveal more of himself in the face of Jesus Christ, Paul continues to, to grow in his, his beliefs. It's so likely that during this time, he, has, he made frequent visits to Damascus to just preach the gospel. So we see here, with the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Damascus, we see, no surprise, opposition to the gospel. The gospel causes Obedience to Jesus' commission, certainly for Paul's case, did not result in health, comfort and wealth as the Jews conspired to kill Saul. And what happened next? We see Saul, with the help of his students, escaped by being lowered through a basket, through an opening in the wall of Damascus, can you imagine that again? For Paul, coming first to Damascus with letters issued by the high priest, riding on a horse, high horse, and now escaping as a, as if as is a, a, a escape prisoner, going through, going through uh, the hole in the wall in Damascus. What a turnabout for Paul, for Saul in this case. Saul rather go it alone in gospel ministry. Saul, sorry, Saul rather than going alone in gospel ministry, Saul chose to go it together with the local church in Damascus. The disciples helped him and guarded his life for further gospel work. So what does this mean for us? Are we part of a Christian community? Have you identified with a local church to be Christian is to be identified with Christ and be identified with the local church. For Jesus Christ in Acts 9.4 identified himself so closely with his church to the extent that as Saul was persecuting the church, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that Saul was persecuting Jesus himself. Also, do you realize that to be converted is to be commissioned for gospel service and ministry? Gospelizing is not restricted to a professional class of Christians. In fact, just recently over dinner, I was deeply encouraged by an ordinary Christian brother. You know, he was not a pastor or full-time Christian worker but he told a story of our extraordinary God working in his life. I was strengthened and encouraged in the gospel when this brother shared his story. He said that he had faced many failures and suffering. In fact, you know, he prefaced his sharing with, I am a failure and I failed many times in my life. You know, how's that for introduction? But that's what he started with. He suffered business failures, suffered a health breakdown because of stress, and he had a stroke at age 45, which totally affected his language ability. But, but, despite all his setbacks, he continued to love and faithfully serve our God who calls, pursues, and loves him. He endured in his obedience, And when I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but remember his story because I saw in his obedience the pattern of faithfulness modelled by Paul. Because we see next, Saul, despite the setbacks, despite the opposition to the gospel in Damascus, Saul was obedient to his commission. And after leaving Damascus, he set out for Jerusalem. And what did Saul do there? What did Saul do there? Rather than keep a low profile and perhaps avoid telling, you know, telling others about uh, Jesus, you know, avoiding trouble like many of us are apt to do, naturally inclined to do when someone targets us, Saul continues to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, humanly speaking, you would think he would learn his lesson, right? After proclaiming the gospel, he gets opposition. People want to kill him. But rather than quit it, he continued. He continued in his commission. He continued to preach and proclaim Jesus Christ. So turn with me now to Acts chapter 9, verse 26 to 30. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he, meaning Saul, attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he, Saul went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Paul, Saul did not learn his lesson we see in Jerusalem almost a repeat of the pattern in Damascus. Saul, on arrival in Jerusalem, sought to join the local church in Jerusalem. He recognised his new membership in the church. He recognised his new membership in the church and attempted to join the community there in Jerusalem. But the church in Jerusalem, they were rightly suspicious of Saul because in their minds, they remembered Saul Who, like a crazed animal, had a few years prior led in arresting and persecuting the disciples of Jesus Christ in this very city of Jerusalem? They doubted, Saul had converted. And in case we judge the church harshly, if you and I were in their shoes, how would we have responded? wouldn't we respond in the same way? In fact, are we not tempted not to welcome new believers into the church who do not readily conform to our expectations and standards? Perhaps they do not dress a certain way, or they work in a less than socially acceptable job. It's so easy to make external standards the criteria for membership. Are we ready and willing to accept new converts different from us and then disciple them in the faith? But thankfully, the story did not end there because one disciple of Christ did enter again, dear brother Barnabas, their encourager. Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles and he advocated for Saul. He told of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus and how Saul had proved his faith authentic, had proved his faith authentic by broadly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ at the risk of his life in Damascus. In effect, Barnabas became Saul's sponsor. He sponsored Saul's joining of the church in Jerusalem. Saul joined the church and encouraged by the acceptance and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Saul had a new boldness in proclaiming Jesus Christ. He preached the message of the gospel boldly. He argued for Christ against the Hellenists. And here, the Hellenists likely comprised of the synagogue of the freedmen and other Greek-speaking followers of Judaism. And if you remember, this is an irony. What irony? Remember, the synagogue of the freedmen, these are the folks who had fought against Stephen and conspired uh, against Stephen and brought about his death. And do you remember, Saul had approved and endorsed their actions. Now, these very folks who worked together with, uh, with Saul now conspired and sought Saul's death. And no surprise, we see this again in the opposition to the gospel again in the second half of verse 29 to verse 30. Saul, the persecutor of Christians, became the persecuted. They sought to kill him. And again, when the brothers of the local church heard this, they stepped in to rescue Saul, brought him down to the port of Caesarea and sent him off by boat to Tarsus. The Bible after this is pretty much quiet on what happened to Saul. Very very much what happened next is clouded in mystery. The Bible does not give us much details here. But what we see is seven or eight years will pass by in which we are only given the barest glimpse of Saul's activity. Before who? Before Barnabas again was eventually sent to Tarsus to find him. And bring Saul back to Antioch. We see this in Acts 11:25. And in Galatians, Paul tells us that during this time he preached a lot, preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and some, if not, all, of the five, 40 lashes, less one, of which he speaks of in 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 22 onwards, must have taken place in this period also. Saul. And soon, Luke, referred to him as Paul, was being shaped and trained for yet more gospel work. Work that God was not in a hurry for him to do. And what follows in Luke's description in verse 20, 31 is an absolutely beautiful summary of the Lord's blessing on the church. Verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The change is dramatic. From persecution to suspicion, unrest and threats of killing to peace and growth. We see here, Jesus, our sovereign King, Lord and Saviour, providentially turning the history of the world in which the church is found to his own advantage, to whoever pleases him. And we often wonder about the secret to church growth and multiplication. Especially in, in Singapore, we think whether there's a secret formula a sure-fired strategy perhaps that we can follow and use to turn the declining church of our time around. You know, the church of our time is fixated on programs with its books and DVDs and conferences and strategies. But what was Luke's formula here? Luke's formula here is very simple. The people of God were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of of the Holy Spirit they feared God and they were strengthened by the Spirit that's all they did so what will be our own response to this will we fear God and obey him will we seek for and plead for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ so what are some practical responses for us as individuals And as a church, what are some ways in which we respond to the truths in today's passage? Firstly, firstly, do we see our conversion as our commissioning to be servants of the gospel? Do we see our conversion as our commissioning to be servants of the gospel? You know, I speak as fellow Singaporean here. Our culture in Singapore seeks professionals to do certain jobs. We seek lawyers to represent us legally. We seek doctors doctors to treat us medically. We seek computer engineers to solve our IT issues. We are right to seek help from them, for they have expertise in this area. But, my friends, there are no professionals in serving and sharing the gospel. You don't get a certification from from, uh, some standards board out there. Okay, certify that you are professional. There are no professionals in serving and sharing the gospel. You simply share the good news of Jesus Christ and give a testimony of how this good news has changed you. You do, need, do not need a separate professional certification like a seminary degree. You no, know, sometimes you and I joke uh, our seminary qualifications. Uh, show that, uh, just shows that we, we are very good at studying, but it doesn't really qualify us any more than anyone else in sharing the gospel. Okay? Because once you are converted, like Saul, you're commissioned to serve and share the gospel. But perhaps, you're letting your so-called lack of qualifications be a justification, be an excuse for your fears not to share. But I can assure you, brothers and sisters, we can be assured of the promise in Acts 1-8. Christ promises us in Acts 1-8 that we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. So despite our fears, we are more than qualified to share. Secondly, do we seek out Christian community in the local church? Do we seek out Christian community in the local church? The Western culture encourages individualism, okay? That we should go it alone. The Gospel culture encourages us to go it together with our brothers and sisters in the local church. Our Asian culture encourages communalism, communalism, that we should conform to the traditions and practices of our group. But the problem with this is that we can easily hide in a crowd through apparent conformity. We do not let ourselves be personally known in the crowd. We hide our struggles and our hurts. And what do we do? We put on our game face on Sundays. Okay? And when people come, they say, yeah, all is fine. Everything is great, you know. And we say that perhaps to, to avoid sharing of our life with others. We do not speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters. Okay? We, we, we want to do this by, so that we can maintain superficial harmony. But what about Saul? Saul sought community in the local church because the gospel culture encourages us to go it together with our brothers and sisters in the local church, in an authentic gospel community. A place where our challenges in life and our sin struggles are known. Where we seek to obey God's words together rather than human traditions. And we speak gospel truth and love to one another. So that ultimately we can grow towards Christ-likeness and know the joy of us changing to become more like Christ. So are we seeking gospel community at Grace Baptist Church. My brothers and sisters, I encourage us not to fall to the lies of individualism, nor communalism but rather seek gospel community. So besides your participation in our worship service on Sunday, I encourage you to seek community by being open and authentic and vulnerable through participation in community groups or small groups through the week. Or simply commit to regular meetings with a fellow one or two church members over a meal once or twice a month to fellowship, to read the Word, to pray, to help each other fight sin together. Thirdly, on a related point, are we being the Christian community that reflects the Gospel? Okay. For those of you who are following along the outline, this is not in your bulletin because this is a bonus application, okay? So instead of uh, three, you have four because you buy three, you get one free. Okay, so so I know that even as I speak about the need for Christian community, some of us may be saying, "But Ollie, you do not understand. I've been badly hurt by the church before. I've experienced betrayal. I've experienced gossip against me. I have experienced politics. I've been misunderstood. I've been hurt." Now all I want to do is to come to worship God on Sunday and go home. I want to avoid other people in the church. For those of you who feel this way, I'm sorry. We confess that the church has often failed to be the community that we are supposed to be. But I too have experienced all of this and been hurt by it, so I understand. But my brothers and sisters, I encourage you, do not let this hurt the experience contradict or neglect the truth of the gospel. To paraphrase Bonhoeffer again, he says it well, the community of saints is not an ideal community consisting of perfect and sinless men and women where there's no further need of repentance. No. It is a community which proves that it is worthy of the gospel of forgiveness by constantly and sincerely proclaiming God's forgiveness. And I would add, not only proclaiming God's forgiveness, but also practicing it as we seek by the Spirit's enabling to forgive one another. We are not perfect and sinless yet. Look at, look at I mean, every morning I look at myself in the mirror and I realize, hey, God, you you still have a long way to do in molding and shaping me. We are not perfect and sinless yet. Though one day, we will be. So at this point in time, we will continue to sin, we continue to hurt one another. But the gospel of God's forgiveness calls us to forgive and reconcile with one another. And as we do so, we become The community that reflects the gospel, and we see this happening in the church at Jerusalem. I'm sure the members there they would have friends or relatives who has been impacted or suffered under Paul's persecution, Saul's persecution of the church, and yet the church in Jerusalem practiced forgiveness and reconciliation. They forgave Saul's past sins and transgressions, and accepted Him into the community. So for those of us who have been hurt, do not let your hurts interpret reality to you. Do not let your hurts interpret reality to you. But let the gospel speak God's truth to you. And let that truth interpret reality for you. And at church, let us seek to be the Christian community that reflects the gospel. Lastly, lastly, do we as church welcome new converts different from us? Do we as church welcome new converts different from us? You know, late John Stott, one of my heroes in the faith, he's one of the uh, three men with the uh, family name S that's single and served a church for a long period of time. He's one of my gospel heroes in the faith. The late John Stott in his commentary in Acts writes, true conversion always issues in church membership. It's not only that converts must join Christian com- the Christian community, but that the Christian community must welcome converts, especially those from different religious, ethnic, or social background. There is urgent need in our day for modern Ananias and Barnabas." who overcome their hesitations and take the initiative to befriend newcomers. You know, if anyone had a reason to reject a convert, it would have been the church in Damascus and Jerusalem. Come on, I mean, Saul was a persecutor of the church. Could he have really changed? Could a leopard really change his spots? However, Ananias and Barnabas welcomed the new convert with open arms and sought to disciple Saul in the faith? Can we as a church welcome converts different from us? Would we be able to welcome those who are sexually broken, who struggles with pornography, with other lusts, who struggles with same-sex attraction but seeking to follow Christ? Can we welcome them into open arms to love them and then disciple them in the faith? Would we be able to welcome those who dress differently from what we are comfortable with in our tradition? Would we be able to welcome those from different social backgrounds, like the international workers or foreign workers in our midst in Singapore? Can we as a church welcome those different from us? I believe we can and we must. You know, I always wonder why Paul identified so closely with the local church. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if it's given to me, uh, I go to one place, the church kind of yeah, suspicious of me, reject me. I go to another place, the church suspicious, reject me. I'll say, forget it, I'm going to go at it alone. Okay? But why, why? Why did Paul identify so closely with the local church? I think that Apostle Paul never ever forgot his encounter with Jesus Christ. He never forgot his conversion on the road to Damascus. Because as we look in the book of Acts, Luke makes three mention of Paul's conversion in the entire book. And we see Paul talking about this in his letters. Saul heard Jesus Christ identifying so closely with the church whom he persecuted on the road to Damascus. He realized that Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God. And that must have really blown his mind. He thought he was serving God, but in fact, he was acting against God. And I, I think I can use my sanctified imagination. I could imagine Paul's reaction at that point in time. He probably thought that that's the end for him. He's going to face God's judgment. But having realized that Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God, he also realized the immense grace of God. Because once Saul received Christ, Jesus would also closely identify with him. This means that he realized that Jesus identified with his sins, with our sins and failures, to the extent that we too, that to the extent that he bears the penalty for our sins on the cross. It also means that we too identify closely with Christ. God sees Jesus Christ's perfect obedience as being credited for us. So as God looks at Jesus, he sees uh, Christ's perfect obedience as us uh, having obeyed him perfectly. And Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 2, 5, For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Saul, the persecutor and murderer of Christians, would know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. He would experience the forgiveness of his sins. And for the Apostle Paul, this is great gain for him. He writes later in Philippians chapter three, verse eight to nine. in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you hear Paul's exuding joy as he delights at his gain of the treasure of great value that is Jesus Christ? And out of this joy that Christ identifies with him, he seeks because of this joy to join the church whom Christ identifies closely with. Brothers and sisters, this too is our great gain, our promise of great joy. So let us not go at it alone, but go at it together with our church community. Let us pray. As you bow your heads let's ask ourselves, how can we grow in seeking out community in the local church? How can we grow in becoming a community that reflects the gospel? How can we grow to become more welcoming to people different from us? How can we grow in serving our commission to share the gospel. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ that when we trust in Him, He identifies closely with us and we are joined to Him. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of fellowship with you, our triumph God. Thank you for the grace of living in community with other believers. We pray that your Holy Spirit will shape us to be the new community in Christ that reflects your love and forgiveness. Just as you have welcomed us in Christ, help us to welcome others as well. Empower us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others for the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing the song of response.